Hello, and welcome to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We will, as always, start with a story. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, there lived a young, ambitious prince. The prince came from a a long and well-established bloodline who had built a vast and proud kingdom. Yet the prince felt that during his dad's reign, the people had become a little unruly, particularly in his latter years. He thought that he rather let it slip. So he felt that The moment he took control, the moment his dad died, he needed to reassert some dominance. He knew this way before his dad came into power. So even as a teenager, he already started thinking about how this might be possible. In court, he happened to make a number of rather influential allies. People who, like him, thought that his dad was not keeping up appearances, was not defending their interests strongly enough. So by the time his dad came to pass away, The prince had already prepared his strategy. It was an old one, a well-known one, a popular one, a simple one. Divide and conquer. He knew that if his ambitions were to be fulfilled, if the ambitions of his allies, his counselors, his advisors, his noblemen were to be fulfilled, that he would have to divide his people into smaller, more manageable chunks, and so regain control before he could then look outside of his own kingdom. He knew that the people he needed to isolate were those who had become too free. Those who would resist his rather violent, oppressive ambitions. And he knew also that the people's will and loyalty was fickle that most of what they were concerned about was survival and enjoyment. For life was tough and there were many challenges. So first amongst the strategies was information. He needed to know what the people were saying and who were the ones saying it most loudly. 
he had gathered information. He had sent out his spies and gathered information for years before the king even passed away. So this had already been done. He had planned ahead brilliantly. So by the time the king had died, he had already identified the most troublesome amongst them. And he began to release rumors into the crowds. Lies. Assertions that these people, particular individuals, particular communities, were associating with dangerous ideas. Foreign ideas that threatened the stability and the solidarity of society. He knew that these rumors would catch fire. He knew that the more they spread, the worse they would get. And the more the people's opinion would sway. But he also knew that a rather harmonious kingdom would need a rather large push to turn on itself. Luckily, as belonged to the divide and conquer strategy of old, this was already written in. An emergency was to be called for. Something to truly divide the people. So the king sent out warriors of his own, dressed in foreign garb, to the borders of his kingdom and ordered them to attack and sack his own villages. And so they did. A war was declared. There was an enemy, a terrible, easily identifiable, evidently violent enemy. So the people enraged turned to the king, asking him, demanding of him, what will you do to protect us from these savages, from this danger? The king said, no problem. I will protect you. I will do what is necessary to protect you from this danger. Part of what the king felt was necessary was the closure of borders. For obviously it became harder to defend these borders now that there was an enemy. Seems justifiable, thought the majority. However, the king also knew very well that resistance would begin to rise in exactly those people he wanted isolated. So he didn't even need to discredit them himself. 
they would discredit themselves by merely criticizing the king's actions, the king's measures, by merely speaking out against them and the need for war, by merely questioning who this enemy was and whether the threat that this enemy posed was truly as dangerous as it was being made out to be. Whether it truly justified the measures the king was taking. Now, the people enraged took it upon themselves to begin to oppress these people, begin to oppress those most free, those criticizing the king, for they felt that they were now the enemy themselves. They were standing in between the kingdom and safety, for they were the enemy within their own borders. It then became an easy narrative for the king to say that they were in fact traitors. Going against the will of the people. So as soon as these accusations from influential members amongst the resistance were uttered, they in effect dug themselves their own graves. And the people even more enraged by their words took it upon themselves to enact vigilante justice. Known members of said community were taken from their homes, beaten up, their belongings destroyed. Children in the street were mobbed by children of other ideologies, of different beliefs. People throughout the country had begun to attack one another based merely on a story, on a, on a story, on a narrative created by the king for the purposes of furthering his own interests. So by the time that the king started arresting members of the community, influential members of the community in particular, nobody stood in the way. Generally speaking, it was supported. He also knew that the majority of people, even though perhaps they didn't support the action, would be apathetic, would turn a blind eye because they couldn't change things. They couldn't change the way things worked. And the rest, as they say, is history. A history that we'll need to uncover and learn more about. But before we do that, firstly, thank you, Joey, for reading that story. And I'm really looking forward to digging into it more and to also finding out more about you. But before we do any of that, a quick introduction to the podcast. You're listening to Storytelling with Puck, the podcast designed to show the power of stories in life and in business. 
Stories connect us on a deeper level, which is why we'll be sharing, chatting about and feeling the impact they have on every one of us. Your host, Stefano, is the founder of Puck Creations and we work with your business to define a clear, consistent, relevant brand which stands out from the crowd. We use that brand to create content that makes your audience think, feel and take action. Visit puckcreations.com to find out more. But before you do that, let's make some music with our talented talent manager, Joey Sordil. Joey, please tell us a little bit about yourself. That was a very sweet introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So, yeah, um, I am a talent manager indeed. I run a creative collective together with my fiance, Sarah. We... um, we manage a couple of different musicians, two guys from Uganda who do, um, well, beautiful music. I'm not going to label it because I don't want to label things, <laughs> but beautiful music. Um, and a guy from New Zealand. And we also invest in different creative opportunities, I would say, in film a lot. Sarah studied film. So uh, I, I myself am an actor as well. So we have a very big interest in film, especially in documentary in more recent times. We're working on our first documentary now. Um, Yeah, we also recently set up a music studio in Kampala in Uganda. Yeah, where my artists will also be living, my artists and their producer, they will also be living there. So they're going to have a, um, well, 24-7 music uh, creation laboratory, so to speak. (laughs) And on top of that, I mean, I guess an important thing to say as well would be that I have a degree in history and politics. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, uh, links potentially back to your opening story as well. Um, the history and politics. The, the, yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll get into that in a in a second because firstly, I want to focus a bit more on you. Yeah. So, how do you become? A talent manager. <laughs> how do you how do you become somebody who is looking after musicians in Uganda and New Zealand? And you mentioned that you're an actor as well. Tell us a little bit more about where did this all start? What what brought you from, you know, being a kid, growing up, doing a politics and a history degree to getting into acting? Mm. There's bits which we've missed, which uh, I personally know about, which we'll talk about, which uh, to do with traveling and and other types of storytelling, and mm. then becoming a talent manager. How does that all link together? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, my life journey has always been one of impulse, I think I would say. I've always been driven by instinct. I'm not a I've more recently come into reflecting and re- reflecting, um but I was never much of a thinker. I was always a doer. So Throughout my youth, I always just did. My dad was a tennis coach. We played tennis. I wanted to be a tennis player, kind of vaguely, but not really. Um, <laughs> until I found acting. And then I started at about 12. I went into musical theater, um, performed for about six years on the stage before going to university. I had always been a history nerd since I was probably about three or four, probably before I can even remember, you know, I was a history nerd. Um, 
let's 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 not skip too quickly so yeah no no it's okay i'm just I, I, i'm trying to put the pieces together so that i can understand how how it all comes through so as you said you sure. were a doer and you love playing tennis which uh yeah. was amazing you thought about maybe going down that road but decided not to i guess there's lots of kids to uh, do but you know you had uh you had a talent for it and then you got into the acting world and you were going to musical theater etc but when you then got to an age where where you were able to go into study, there must have been, you know, quite a few choices for you to make there. So you you mentioned that you had a love of history. Mm. Before we talk about the choices, where did that love come from? How come you loved history so much from such a young age? That's a great question. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, <laughs> my my uncle loves history. Okay. So I don't, but however, I don't know. So. I guess one way that I could reflect on it is that I feel like a very old soul and I believe very much, I think in reincarnation, I think I believe very much in um, energy being eternal and me being an energetic being. Therefore, you know, I've always, I guess, had this sense that I've been here before, you know, that I've walked these roads, I've seen these books, I've, I, I had a very strong connection always to two particular cultures, which was ancient Egypt and the Vikings, the Norse culture, two quite different cultures. I, I don't know what drew me to them, but <laughs> this is crazy. Two of my, I have four tattoos. Two of them are from those cultures. One is from ancient Egypt and one is from uh, the Norse culture. And them being my earliest interests, it was crazy when I met Sarah, my fiance, four years ago, mm-hmm. who walked into the room. I thought she was, I had just heard that she was Norwegian. I was expecting a blonde girl. <laughs> she walks in and she's clearly not fully, you know, Norwegian. Clearly there's some, also some other mixture in there. And she says, I'm Egyptian Norwegian. <laughs> and I said, you've got to be kidding me. You have got to be joking me. And being somebody that believes in everything happening for a reason, um, I guess this is a slightly strange anecdote at this point, but... <laughs> Not at all. Uh, anecdotes are exactly what we're here for, so keep going. Right. <laughs> so yeah, she, um, it, we, it, I guess in a sense, I already you know, sensed then that there would be some meaning in our meeting, and clearly there has been. So there was a deep feeling before you'd ever even spoken to her properly but yeah. and then that developed and congratulations by the way on uh, you. becoming your fiance so <laughs> so that's wonderful so i guess there's always been a feeling since you were a kid but do you have any idea were there other influences to you know the idea of reincarnation um people will have different beliefs on whether or not it's true and you know everyone has their own beliefs on that and where we form our beliefs and where they come from always interests mm. me so the fact that you believed in it, I'm guessing it didn't just come from nowhere. Or maybe it did. Maybe you just felt it. But but were there other people around who also believe in that idea and in, in, in that way of development? Or did it come over time where you saw kind of external influences? What what triggered it, I guess? To... Mm. Yeah, I think that particular belief really arose more recently, to be honest. Okay. I think it wasn't... I mean throughout my earlier life it wasn't something that sounded very alien to me mm-hmm. as in perhaps there was in some way some natural um tendency towards 
the holistic subconsciously without me really knowing and have you know growing up in london there wasn't really much <laughs> holistic influence no no i can't imagine there was well i guess if you if you know where to look for it there's actually quite a lot um in london but you have to know where to look if you're if you're yeah. if you're going uh I, I guess traversing this the standard streets and the, the standard rat race of life you're probably not going to find out as much as you right. want um no. the influence on that side but there was something there there was a feeling you always had and it wasn't necessarily you had no words for it maybe you didn't know it was incarnation but i don't then, think i even i don't think i was even aware of the feeling i think that i didn't really develop consciousness true consciousness until the last couple of years to okay. be honest and do you have an idea of why that is um that you did yeah. develop it should absolutely I say? yeah I had a lot of emotional trauma to deal with. Okay. I had a lot of barriers to my progress, to me uh, finding connection to my true self. If you don't mind, um, I, I know this can't be an easy thing to talk about, but you said you had a lot of emotional trauma. Is, is that something you're, you're willing to tell our listeners a little bit more about? What was it that happened? Sure. Sure. It was mostly to do with bad communication amongst my my family, my immediate family. There had been generational trauma passed down from my grandmother to my mother, which had then, you know, poisoned the well, so to speak. Uh, they had emotional trauma of their own that was not dealt with. Therefore, you know, um, we we then also became victims of the same sorts of communi communication which created the same sort of trauma. I was never able to express myself freely, I think, now on reflection, um, which must have stopped at a very young age. Um, my mother at the time, and for many years, she's coming now also to consciousness, which is brilliant. And I'm so proud and I'm so glad for her because it's, it's a huge awakening. She wasn't capable at the time of communicating in a way that satisfied my needs. And I think that's a problem for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, my, my fiance has experienced, well, actually her family is, is brilliant. They are brilliant communicators, but you clearly have perhaps some experience. And I think it's not, it's not an uncommon thing. So to me, coming out of this and meeting Sarah, who was a brilliant communicator and who started forcing me to open up. I actually know I learned first by being there for her, who was incapable of dealing with her trauma and who was suffering from terrible anxiety and depression. Okay. So just by being there for her, it forced me to face anxiety and depression for the first time. I hadn't even ever considered those concepts as being part of my existence. But I realized then after seeing her and after going through that journey of trauma and suffering with her, walking through the, the fires of hell together with her and seeing the pain she was in, the person I loved most in the world, you know, that made me aware of what was possible. And then she turned it around on me and said, but there are things in your life, there are things about your character that aren't wholesome. Why is that? <laughs> So I was forced to face my fears and my trauma 
Incidentally, I had already begun working on it in myself in some way because I, I'd, come, I'd become sick. I'd become physically sick, actually, even, of um, due to the continued trauma I was experiencing every time I went to my family, every time we were at Christmas or every time we came together for some sort of occasion. And it was always a forceful coming together, you know, because there was so little love, because the communication was so bad. So would you say, I don't want to put words into your mouth, so completely reject this if I'm getting it wrong, but would you say you felt trapped? Yeah, in hindsight, for sure. And that's definitely one of the reasons why I think I wanted to get away so much. Makes a lot of sense. So you say, we'll talk about getting away so much and we'll go into that a, a bit more in a sec because I know you've traveled a lot. Um, and so that's that links up quite nicely. <laughs> but just before we do, I think what you described there is, is a great advertisement for empathy mm. <laughs> um, being able to listen and to understand somebody else's needs can actually help you to understand yours better and i think you really with your story have explained that exceptionally well but digging down into that a bit more mm. before you realized what was happening before you had these discussions as you say there was maybe something subconsciously going on that you knew that you felt a bit trapped but tell me a little bit more about your earlier years when you decided that you wanted to go traveling and maybe we can see is there some kind of link there at all (laughs) yeah i think there's definitely a link there i have i've spent a lot of the recent two years learning about consciousness, learning about reflecting, learning about self-development through self-criticism, actually, and also through, as you say, empathy. But at an earlier age, you know, I wasn't aware of any of these things and there was so little empathy in my family that it wasn't even a concept. Again, that was part of my existence. So I really wanted to start traveling, I mean, from a very early, we were always traveling as well. We were going abroad for for holiday almost all the time. We were skiing. We were very active, you know. My dad was a tennis coach, as I said. So we were a very sporty family. We were very active. Everybody loved traveling. My parents both had traveled a fair bit as well in their time. So we were actually always traveling. So it was kind of part of my, my my, my, my foundation in a way. The first time I got away by myself was when I was 18 and I went to Morocco with my cousin. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Wonderful country, by the way. But um, yeah, gorgeous. So, so when you say you got away by yourself, it's interesting because it seems like traveling was a natural thing for you. Um, you, yeah. you were lucky enough to have a, a family who could afford to go away quite often and you managed to, to, to have those, uh, to go on those trips. But then you really emphasized, I think, the first time I managed to get away by myself, you could hear the power in that. And so you managed to then get away to Morocco. And how long was that for? What kind of trip was that? That was such a random trip. Um, It was for for about just over two weeks. My cousin and I have been, um, have been sort of, we have similar interests we liked similar things. He was a bit older than me. He was sort of 10 years older than me, 
but he was a climber and he wanted to go climbing in Morocco. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'd never climbed at this point. So I took a very quick climbing course before that and was absolutely <laughs> terrified of heights. I was not a brave child <laughs> trapped as I was by my own, you know, insecurities and fears. Um, and I can remember after that first climbing session, I wasn't able the next day, I wasn't able to even brush my teeth. I couldn't pick anything up at all. <laughs> I can imagine that kills your arms. I've never really done it, so I'm not going to I'm not going to make too many comments on it. But just looking at it, it seems exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It was a brilliant experience in the end, and I just wanted to see the country because, like you say, it's a beautiful country, and it always had a kind of mystical allure to me. Okay, and so when you were there, did you feel like you? What did you think you were gaining from it? Um, was it pure enjoyment, just the, literally the pure joy of being uh, being away and being in another country? Did you, or did you feel like there was, I guess, there were lessons, um, even at the time, or maybe no. now that you've had a chance to reflect? <laughs> no, I was wondering that because it felt like you might not. It felt like at the time it was just, I want to get away and I want to have a fun trip, it's just like most 18-year-olds do. Yeah. Now, looking back, I spent a large portion of my life suppressing my real self suppressing me who i am like as we are talking now is my real self i am back to who i was when i was born in the sense that my mom even said this to me the other day she was like you are such a joyful happy inquisitive child i don't know what happened to you and i was like <laughs> oh really you don't really oh really <laughs> we shouldn't get into the therapy session now especially as your mum's not here no. too it's all good because these are things that obviously you know I've, I've worked through and they are like you say they're lessons they're things that have made me grow and they're not things that I hold a grudge about or you know I don't do that I don't hold on to negative energy at all if, if I can't if I can anyway what, what was the point I'm sorry that was a digression <laughs> No, 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 it's good. It's good. I mean, th that was kind of the point, really. So we were talking about the idea that when you first went away to Morocco, you didn't necessarily feel like you were getting away from being trapped. You were just doing what quite a lot of the kids, because you're still a kid at 18, were, were wanting to do. You just wanted to go away and travel and have some fun with your friends. Uh, uh, but then that expanded, right? Because you've been to quite, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you're, you count the countries, but you've been to quite a lot of countries, right? You've been to quite I've a few. Yeah, yeah. A fair few. I don't count them. I don't. Um, no, I mean, there, there, there comes a point. I think when you travel to as many countries as you have, that you probably, you know, counting becomes a bit pointless. Um, but, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> um, but tell me a bit more about that because that, to me, is more of kind of an escape and you know managing to to I guess absorb more cultures. Again, did it feel like that at the time, or were you just out to enjoy yourself? Before our captivating guest Joey Sordell answers that, we hope you're enjoying yourself as you listen to a conversation about escapism, reflection, solutions rather than problems, empathy, understanding, and being able to disagree with kindness. We'll be putting the magnifying glass to Joey's story. We'll discuss points where we agree and where we don't. And throughout it all, we respect each other's differences and embrace our similarities as we truly listen to what the other person has to say. We hope you'll be listening closely too, all the way to the end, where we will finish the episode with a story from Puck Creations. 
You know what? The strange thing is, I don't think I was even truly out to enjoy myself. I think I was really only out to escape in a subconscious way. Because actually, even when I lived in China, in southern, rural southern China, tropical China, I spent so much time playing computer games. I spent so really? much time, yeah, of my early life playing computer games. And I think now upon reflection and upon hours and hours of conversation that this was all a suppression of my spirit because my spirit had been suppressed at such a young age that all those questions that I was asking my parents, you know, why this, why that, why, 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 what, 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 and they had no answers to eventually I stopped asking questions. <laughs> eventually it became clear to me, even though I wasn't aware of it, that my needs and my, my, my thoughts were not going to be met. We're not going to be satisfied. So I think that I wasn't even looking for joy. I wasn't even really like, you know, a lot of teenagers would go out and go traveling and go wild. And obviously I've seen them as well. I was there, but that wasn't me. I was the guy who was going sort of slightly a little bit wild, you know, <laughs> But then it was probably going home and playing a fucking computer game. Swearing <laughs> <laughs> is not okay. Either. No, no, it's all good. I mean, that's incredible. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't think you're alone in this. Uh, some of our listeners will know that I've, I've traveled quite a lot myself. And um, again, for me, there are many different reasons, but we're not here to talk about me today. Um, <laughs> but what I find interesting is that, again, you're right. You meet so many different characters along the way. You meet pure party going lovers who just want to actually kind of feel free and just let loose and like you know quite a lot of people do you also get people who are really involved and invested in discovering new cultures and understanding everything there is to know um about the world around them i'd probably put myself somewhere into that category the kind mm. of explorer types mm. um and then you also get people like you've ex described yourself then who are clearly trying to escape something. Uh, some of them less clearly, I think. I don't think we can always tell. Um, we might think we can, but often we're projecting. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so it's amazing seeing why different people do different things. I love digging into the motivations yeah. and I love digging into why. Within all of that description, it was really quite sad for me. Um, and uh, I made up a cheesy little line for it just as I heard it, but uh, curiosity killed the chat. I, 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 I thought because, <laughs> but, but, but purely because. That's very good. You asked more and more, <laughs> but you asked more and more questions. And the more questions you ask, the less the conversation flowed as a kid. And therefore you decided to stop. And it, it, when I'm thinking I'm thinking then about all of the different reasons people are traveling, all of the different motivations that people do for anything, I'm always asking why. And to me, it feels, mm. you know, it feels quite sad that mm. you weren't able, you didn't feel able to do that because mm. of, yeah. yeah. I can appreciate that. And I was, it was, it was a very sad realization when I had it because it, it defined so much of my life. It defined probably 23 years of my life Wow! before I was able to, you know, probably I was, uh, I was free of it in the first, maybe three or four, I don't know, three, maybe. And I've been three of it, free of it now in the last couple. So 
25 years of my life, actually. You can do the maths, but it is worth saying. It is worth saying that the experience of meeting different cultures and of seeing different landscapes was definitely also, you know, the biggest sort of conscious draw. I was always a, a an absorber of of cultures and of, of languages, even of, of people, people are my, my source of energy and my source of, of, of inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a creative, we tell stories, right? So people yes. are our inspiration, you know, as well as landscapes. So all of those experiences were, were me. I, I knew that they were me. They felt natural. So it's not like I was, you know, only playing computer games. It was it's not like I was only escaping. <laughs> I was also learning a little bit of Chinese and getting into the culture. And, you know, it's so important, you know. Yes, I do. I know, you know. But I, f- I feel like a lot of people do. So even people who maybe haven't traveled quite as extensively, I don't I don't think it necessarily matters. I think there's there's often a mindset with people who maybe want to travel, who explore things in different ways. Mm. There's mm. there's there is an explorer mindset, I think, um, that's mm. slightly different. And it, it, it's great that, you, you know, I think potentially all of those experiences in your life have potentially then helped you to get to the point where you are now. I, I, I feel like it's it's always a hard thing to say that anything is necessarily in itself a negative because I think we all learn from everything that we go through. Yeah. But at the same time, I haven't been through some of the things that lots of other people have been through and they would probably shout me down very quickly for, <laughs> for saying something like that. And probably rightly so <laughs> because, because some things maybe aren't worth going through. <laughs> um, um, but, but I think that's a perspective. Yeah, perspective, exactly that. Uh, perspective is it, it's important. And I, I often try, and I guess this comes back to stories and this comes back to empathy, which are probably my two favourite words in the world, because I often try thinking, well, this is the way I think, but that doesn't mean it's right. Mm. I, I feel like the wisest people in the world are the work people who know that they know pretty much nothing. Yes, exactly. Just as um, I believe as Seneca said... All I know is that I know nothing. Exactly that. Suddenly, that puts puts uh, <laughs> put, puts you puts you up into the very high echelons, in my opinion. Of but, um... That's totally how I live my life. I think it's absolutely vital that we are open to changing our opinions and changing our minds if we are presented with a more reasonable argument. Mm-hmm. Always. And that that doesn't mean, by the way, because I think sometimes people take that as oh. Well, you're weak. You know, you can't stand behind your own arguments. It doesn't mean that at all. I will argue to the death about certain things, but I'm also willing to be proven wrong. Right. And I think that's where the difference sometimes lies. I'm very open, actually, to be proven wrong, but I will still argue my point and I'll argue it very strongly and I'll stand behind it until the point that I realise that somebody has got a better point. Mm. (laughs) And then then I think, ah, okay, Let's review this. And again, I still won't take everything that someone says as gospel. I don't feel like mm. if somebody says a five-minute kind of monologue about something they believe in, and that maybe one and a half minutes of that monologue I think are useful, I will mm. take on those one and a half minutes. Right. It doesn't mean that I believe in everything they say. And I think right. I think sometimes that idea, that nuance of being able to anticipate and understand other people is is so important and it actually i think comes back to the business world in some ways too because i think that actually that's where businesses sometimes fall flat is because they are given a set of formulas 
and ways that they should conduct themselves. Mm. And they think, well, I have to follow all of this because this person clearly knows what they're talking about. Instead of analyzing, thinking about how it suits them, how it links to them and then how they could mm. potentially work with it. It's an interesting thought. If I can just add something in there, actually, Please. because I think that that's, that's a very good point. I think that generally in, in, in any institution or in any sort of operational structure, if there is too much bureaucracy, if there is too much, uh, if there are too many limit, limitations and restrictions in place, it also restricts creativity, which is, which really flourishes in chaos, actually, which yeah. really flourishes in pressure. Yeah. Which in itself is an interesting topic and debate to have around kind of the idea because chaos can be both an amazing, wonderful tool, as you say, for people's minds, but it can also be extremely dangerous and it can also be a tool for people who understand how to manipulate chaos. I wasn't going to come to this just yet, but I think I'm going <laughs> to, because I, I wanted to dig into your story a bit more, but, I, but, but, but it, it, it's too much of an opening. Um, it, it's too much of an opening now. So your, um, not your personal story, but the story that you told at the beginning of this podcast episode, it had a lot of elements to it. I'm, I'm fairly certain that people will see parallels um, to parts of life now. I won't presume to know whether or not you were writing something that's directly paralleled to the current life, or if actually, especially somebody with a history and a politics degree, if it's actually a slightly broader story. When did you write this? Yesterday. Okay. I've been thinking about it for a little while and I didn't even write it down because actually I decided that I wasn't going to write it down. I wanted this to come out in whatever way it was meant to come out today. Okay. So that tells me a little bit. Um, <laughs> and uh, But actually, I thought about the concept last week. Okay. Yeah. And so I'll, ask, I'll be direct about it. Is this related to something specific right now? Or is this related to a more generic historical point of view, talking about the ideas divide and conquer, and then maybe touching on some of today's more? Both. Okay. A bit of both. And so within the story... You, the idea of divide and conquer. I mean, it's as old as the hills, right? We're not we're, we're not conquering anything new by talking about the fact no, that politicians uh, that politicians use divide and conquer. You also talk about the idea of restricting freedoms, the idea of, I guess, stopping people being able to be liberal. From what we've talked about since then, is why I didn't want to jump straight into the story. How much of that is actually to do with you? personally right do you think oh everything i mean this is my person this is where we now come to you know values and and principles things that i will die for okay yeah, <laughs> things that you will stand behind um, but but also the idea of you know the whole the restricted freedoms and you you've already said throughout this conversation mm. that you felt restricted you mm. within your family dynamic mm. uh, again not necessarily consciously but it's something that you've now come to realize and so there's the family dynamic of feeling restricted and then there's the wider dynamic of mm. feeling restricted and, and not having your freedom so you said you would stand behind and you would die for certain freedoms what which freedoms what is it that you're i guess struggling with at the moment and what caused you to write a story right 
Well, basic human rights. Okay. I think that um, those are exactly the things that are under threat. When you look at things from a bigger picture, when you look behind the veil and you do your research, then there is cause for concern. Great cause for concern, I would okay. say. And so you mentioned a particular government or a particular king, a historical king in the story. And so it was kind of focused around one particular country. Is your story focused around, is the metaphor for your story focused around one particular place or is it focused around more places? Is it focused around the wider? In this sense, it's more generic because the question really at the end of it for me and one of the questions that I have found most confusing and that has created most disillusion in me has always been the question of, do we learn from history? Hmm. Because we do not. Clear as day, we do not. No. Um, so why is this question, or why is this phrase, we should learn from history? We must learn from history. Why is that even in existence? If it isn't actually applied. It's interesting. There's obviously, uh, sometimes I think it's purely because of cliches and people like phrases, because there's then the idea of history always repeats itself, which is the complete contradiction of we should learn from history because if history is constantly repeating itself, then we're clearly not learning. That's kind of why I was going out with this King. I mean, how many times have we heard the story? Yeah, it's not, that's, that's it. It's a, I mean, it's a very well told story by the way. And uh, and, uh, so uh, (laughs) I don't want to sound like I'm denigrating your creativity. I thought it was brilliant, but, but at the same time, you're right. I've heard the story a billion times, um, which is why I wanted to get clarification on where it was coming from was it something that you were getting from you know your studies of history and and kind of getting a grasp of that or was it something of more of the modern age and as you say it's almost both because of the fact that history repeats itself so it can easily be both and i think that's why we're so able to depending on our internal knowledge and our internal understanding we're so able to quickly relate to your story to either what's going on now or to something historically that's happened. And we can probably put ourselves into so many different things that are going on in the world now, depending on where you're listening from, depending on who your friends are, um, depending on the type of politics that you have. And I did this, I listened to it, and I instantly went, okay, I think he's probably talking about this, this, and that. And I had to stop myself because I thought, well, actually, maybe he's not talking about this at all. Maybe he's not talking about the stuff that's going on in the UK right now, even though you're born in the UK. Maybe he's talking. Maybe he's not talking about the stuff that's going on in China right now or in the States right now. There are all of these different scenarios, which I pictured and said, oh, that probably relates to this. But the problem is it relates to everything, right? Absolutely. I think that there is a shared human experience that we have been ignoring for far too long, which is an experience of oppression. Uh We've ignored it because it has been sort of like the four horsemen, uh, an eternal and unchangeable part of existence. We've not been capable of considering or um, contemplating anything different. So the idea of the four horsemen not being 
as you see in the movies coming one particular day and causing Armageddon, but the four horsemen are actually around us all the time and they're slowly digging into us. And eventually there may be that day of Armageddon, but we'll already have had the destruction. I can't disagree with you on a lot of the story. It's powerful. But sometimes I think taking a story like this and then connecting it with reality is very difficult. Mm. the reason being that freedom is really really important to me but there are some freedoms that I'm very much willing to sacrifice for the good of other people Mm. there are some things that I'm willing to give up because I think actually if I do this then and it's things like you talked about in the story but I I do think that actually it's not for no reason you can help. You can help people to potentially survive something. You can help people in lots of different ways. And it's not maybe as simple as, you know, Braveheart, you may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. For me, I don't think it's quite as simple as that. I think I stand behind the idea of freedom wholeheartedly. But sometimes I think that for us to have our freedom, occasionally that means that other people might not be able to have their freedoms, if that makes sense. And so sometimes freedom fights against itself. Mm. and so when you take a story like that which again I think is really powerful and sends a really important message I think it's sometimes hard to then put that into reality to what's the solution what Mm. do you actually do about it what are your thoughts on that absolutely and I think that's a great question because in a sense I would agree with you that if I believed in a cause strongly enough if I had all of the information available to me was available was able to consider all of said information openly and freely uh, and then to make up my own opinion based on said information in the knowledge and trusting me to be a reasonable person, which I would consider myself to be, then I could also put my needs and even my rights and my freedoms aside for somebody else. I do that almost on a daily basis because I live with a foster child. I put my freedoms aside for her almost on a daily basis. And I think that that is an essential experience in life also. I think that it very much depends on all of the elements involved in the equation. Mm -hmm. So in, in this particular instance, for example, with the reality that we're living in now, the reason why I would not put my rights aside is because I have not had free access to information. Much of it has been censored amongst them experts, objectively speaking experts. And I don't, well, I was about to say, I don't understand why, but I believe I do. And I think that this is why I have, And this all feeds into this concern that I have, this general concern that I have towards the way that the world is headed. And my general opinion towards and view of establishment powers, the ruling elite, those who define the parameters of our lives. Economically speaking, those things are are terribly clear. The UNICEF 
published a, a report this year talking about how the rich have become $540 billion richer over this past year, while the bottom percentage of society will take up to 10 years to recover from this economically. There are things at play, powers at play, that are being ignored that will have terrible consequences, I believe. Which is why I will not put my rights aside in this, in this, on this occasion. And I think it's a possible solution because you say that what is the solution? And I think that's a great question because we often talk about problems, we often talk about issues, but very few people have solutions. And I'm very much these days trying to be solution-based. I'm trying to live my life by solutions. I don't want problems. They get in the way. So my solution has been, and I have come to realize that I think that this could also be a possible solution for a lot of people, is one of connectedness. I think that this is, at its core, an issue of spiritual disconnect. By which I mean to say that the society that I was brought up in as a consumer was poisonous to my condition. It didn't allow me to build the tools that I needed to be a capable human being, capable of looking after myself. The education system didn't teach me that. My parents weren't capable of teaching me that. So I struggled most of my life, whether it was consciously or subconsciously. And I know that a lot of people have had similar experiences, felt isolated, alienated from society, from groups, whatever it might be. Social media has become more and more a breeding ground for hatred. Mm-hmm. So this consumer society, when you actually dig deeper into what it means to be a consumer and how this affects us psychologically, when you read, for example, about Edward Bernays and what he did in creating the, the American consumer, these things have terrible influences on our condition and that they shape us to be something that is constantly looking for fulfillment in exterior influences Mm -hmm. rather than from within ourselves and that 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 pursuit can never be fulfilled so my solution was to turn into myself and i think a lot of people have had similar similar journeys I think you're probably right. And I, I, I think from a personal point of view, it's a very good way to react, to look inwards rather than always looking externally. I, I think that's good advice. And it's the kind of advice I believe you get in uh, actually, you know, from the Dalai Lama and people like that. That's often the kind of thing that you hear is look inwards. Yeah. I struggle sometimes though, when we then talk about wider issues and how that fits in with everybody and how everybody gets to look inwards because people just won't. In reality, people often will not. That's, that's, that's the reality of life. And there are also challenges of when you're looking externally and you're looking around at how do you make sure that by looking inwards, you don't actually look inwards to become selfish. You look inwards to mm. see how you can then support others because you are better fulfilled. And and, and that's also a challenge as well. Mm. And there's also questions sometimes, I agree with a lot of what you say about establishment. 
but not all. I, I do think that there are some very well-meaning, well-intentioned, and actually well-actioned in some parts of the world and in some places, establishments. And I do think that the idea of establishment in itself, it's become a dirty word. But if you have the right kind of establishments, the kinds of establishments that are brought together by the people for the people, which, you know, I, I'm stealing a phrase there, but... <laughs> um, uh, but, but if it's done properly, I think it can actually be extremely beneficial. You talked about experts earlier. I personally am very much inclined to listen to experts and what they say. And I think that part of the problem is that experts on certain subject areas often start talking about other subject areas which they're not experts in, but because they're experts in one subject area, people listen to their so-called expertise about other subject areas mm. and take them as gospel. And I think that's a problem in itself. Yeah. But when it comes to listening to them and going, okay, so what are the credentials to be an expert in this? Actually, okay, they know way more than I do. I'm going to listen to them. I'm not, again, I never take anything completely 100%, but I will go, I'm more willing to listen to them than somebody who's... I don't know, maybe spent time looking on YouTube at conspiracy theories, for example. I'm much more open to saying somebody who's studied, in this example, science for all of their lives, I'm going to probably say that they know what they're talking about when it comes to science. Maybe not when it comes to, you know, the best dance anthems of 2020. I probably will look to somebody else for that expertise. But when it comes to science, I'd, I'd like to listen to a scientist. But, but having said that, what often happens is that the experts are then corrupted by politicians. And I don't mean that the experts become corrupted within themselves. I mean, their message is corrupted because they tell politicians what they believe. They, well, not even what they believe. They tell politicians evidence, especially in science. That's what they do. They tell politicians evidence and they say, well, this is the end scenario that we've come to because of this evidence. And then politicians go, great, that doesn't fit our narrative. So they change it and they put, they, they, they tell they, they tell the country something else. Mm -hmm. So that's where I struggle with a lot of this because I have a feeling, I have a very strong feeling that if we discuss the actual topic of COVID, that you and I would possibly be on quite different sides of the fence as to mm. what we should do going forward. But that's okay. That's not really the point of this. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that's the point of this conversation. I think everybody's going to have their own understanding of what they believe we should do about a virus and how we should cope with it and how we should deal with it. But the point I think for me is broader. The point is what you discussed earlier, which is what do we do about the idea of making sure that we have establishments in place that are put there by us for us rather than establishments that are in place that are put there by people who were already in power to make those people richer. Consumerism potentially is one part of it. I don't think that it's the only problem, but I agree that yeah. the, I don't I personally. I'm not anti-capitalist at all. I, I I think that capitalism in itself can be good. I think that the type of capitalism that has been developed is, again, that's part of the problem. It's very much we want all we want it now, rather than using it out to to get decent markets. And again. <laughs> <laughs> we can't go into the politics of this now. We've already been going for about an hour, so we can't go into all the details, sadly. But, but for me, again, I think part of the challenge is it's really, really 
easy to analyze all this. Trust me, I do it in my head constantly. But when I try and come up with a solution that actually works, that crosses borders, isn't just for one country, Mm. I like your idea of looking inwards as a personal solution. Mm. As a society solution, I don't know what the answer is. I think the thing is that what, what I would say to that is that in first and first and foremost, as far as I can tell, through the research that I have done, the people that I listen to, um, my own reflections, my own experiences, as far as I can tell, we cannot change anything on a societal level until we change things on an individual level. It's not possible because there is too much individual trauma, too many individual barriers, too much ego around to admit true progress in that sense. I agree. I should state I 100% agree. But my challenge is how do you get enough people to realize that and therefore to change internally? Because then actually it's a kind of a chicken and egg situation, right? How do you get society to look inwards to change themselves internally so that society can become better? Like that's where that's where suddenly the chicken and egg comes in and I'm like, yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is it's a chicken and egg. But I think one of the things that we're seeing now, there is definitely, I would say, a growing desire or a growing disillusion with society with establishment as we know it mm-hmm. in our countries and our societies and there is a growing connection through an increase of information from abroad and a growing awareness of for example yoga meditation um what true health really looks like diet mm-hmm. you know these are holistic ideas that bring us into an understanding of ourselves that have truly been hidden from us from a very long time. Even ideas of diet, for example, being an athlete, I grew up thinking that diet was a certain thing. You know, it was this, eat some good food, whatever, take some protein shakes. And that's, you know, and then you're having a good diet. That's not true at all. That's that's another deception. So I think there are some foundational deceptions, some foundational ideologies that are deceptive to our progress such as, for example, the things we've just discussed. I agree with you on that, actually. I, I, I think something which maybe starts to dig into the solution is, and it all comes back to, and this is the whole reason this podcast exists, mm. is the idea of using stories to get your message across. And so the story of, because stories aren't sim- as simple as a uh, beginning and middle end narrative, stories actually are, in my opinion, much more they're deeper than that. There's now a story of yoga, a story of meditation, and it's a positive story. When I was a kid, and this isn't that long ago, I, 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 we talked about this earlier, I'm not as old as people might think I am. Um, <laughs> but when I was a kid, the idea of yoga and meditation, especially in the world that I was brought up in, in some parts of, the, in some parts of life, yoga was seen as evil. Mm. Which now the whole, just the concept of that in, well, actually some societies it still is, but in, 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 in quite a lot of Western society and actually in the societies that they come, came from in Asia in the first place, it's now like, that's ridiculous. Yoga isn't evil. It's, it's, it's an exercise and, uh, and, you know, meditation, of course, it's not evil. It's a, it's a way of just kind of breathing and calming your mind, etc. These are all brilliant, brilliant things. So I think you're right to say that maybe, there's a power in sharing those stories about how we can look after ourselves. 
but then it's still a question of when we then start talking about some of the bigger subject matters, how do we stop ourselves from, I guess, getting onto the angry side of the fence? How do we stop ourselves from when we're talking about a subject, mm. making the human that you're talking to the subject rather than the subject, the subject, if mm. that makes sense. And that in itself, again, is I think a really, really difficult question. I think that's a beautiful part of the same process, to be honest with you, because this process of going inwards, of it, it, it also involves a growth in empathy. It also involves a growth in empathy to the point that I have come to recently, which is only in the last month or so. And I never knew this was even possible <laughs> where I could truly, truly put my needs aside completely and become so abstracted from the subject that I, it's impossible for me to take it personally. Mm. And that is what a lot of the Stoics talk about. If you listen to Marcus Aurelius talk or Seneca, yeah. this is exactly what they're talking about. You always have the choice over your own actions and your own feelings. You are the master. Nobody can control that regardless of what they say or what they do. You can always choose how to respond. You do not have to take it personally. You do not have to get emotional. But that is a practice. This is not something that can just happen like this, right? It's not something you can learn in a day. It's something you have to do again and again and again and go through great suffering to actually even reach that place. But this is that, this is that process. So I think that's an answer to what you just said. If we can work on ourselves to the point where we can actually distance ourselves from the subject so that we're not taking it personally anymore, as the great Democrats of Athens did, then we can come to a place of progress, of understanding, and of then eventually, hopefully, you know, building something better. I love that. Um, I'm going to leave it there on that particular subject area because this is the kind of thing that we could talk about for hours especially i could talk about for hours i'm not sure how interesting it is to our listeners but it's interesting to the two of us <laughs> but, but but i feel i feel like um it we we maybe it's a it's a good idea because we were going to have to come towards the end of of this episode um we didn't get into the full details no. of you of your story from from your childhood love of history etc and uh, and going through um i'm going to try and fill in some of the gaps here but going through a world of working in uh, a bit more of a corporate industry working in sales going through your traveling going into a job where you actually were your actual job title was storyteller which must have been yeah. absolutely amazing all of those things are just incredible and we're going to have to have another podcast episode just to talk about them at some point but for today we're going to skip past all of them people can talk to you individually if they want to find out how you got yeah. here and get straight to the bit where you are now as a talent manager and you you introduced what you're doing with some of the uganda musicians new zealand magicians uh magicians musicians <laughs> um and uh and to tell me a little bit more about the exciting projects that you've got coming up with them. So you just built your studio, right? Yeah, correct. So we just built our studio in Kampala. And well, we're working on a new release as we speak, which is set to release on July 16th. Amazing. Um, yeah, very exciting. There's, there's, it's a very complicated situ just, uh, situation, to be honest, because they have had some issues with a label that they were signed to before they met me. Um, so we're going through this legal battle right now as well, but there are very exciting things happening. We have, I think 
now built a good relationship with one of uh, Uganda's most famous artists. So hopefully uh, within a couple of months, they'll be making a breakthrough. Fantastic. That's that, that, I, 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 I'm so hopeful that that works, uh, works out um, because it's, it sounds like such a cool project. Um, something which uh, we're going to have to talk after the show about <laughs> in a bit more detail too. But if people want to find out more about the project, more about where they can find the musicians that you look after and, and the music that's being released and more about where they can find out about you, if there are people who want your support um, or if they want to talk about um, uh, the, the politics um, and history mm-hmm. <laughs> areas of your personality as well. And, uh, and, have, and, to, and to criticize you yet. Yeah, why not? Um, and to have big debates with you. Um, yeah. uh, then uh then that's all part of the fun as far as i'm concerned Um, but if they want any of that Mm. where can people find you (laughs) so uh we are well hopefully by now we will have released our website but it might still be in the making so we'll see but it's going to be www.lighthousecollective.co lighthousecollective.co yes correct we will make sure we put that into the show notes and if you have any other links and places that you want people to find you, of course, you can send them all across to me and I'll make sure we get them into the show notes too. Brilliant. Joey, it's been such a pleasure and such an experience. Um, and you make me think, and that's the kind of person that I love to interact with. So um, thank you Likewise. very much for that. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Stefano. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. So we will, as always, finish the episode with a story from Puck Creations. Disagreement isn't something I disagree with. Through other people's eyes, I improve the lens I see with. I'm always right until I'm wrong. I learn from those I be with. I learn from those I be with. Don't let that guide your mind to an unconnected meaning. Yes, I'll listen. Yes, I'll hear you. Yes, I'll even lean in. That doesn't mean I'm always wrong. I fight for what I believe in. But believing can be deceiving if you leave no room for screening. I know what I know, and I know that I know. That I only know what is known until it is no longer known. You've just been listening to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We'll be back very soon, so make sure you subscribe and catch up on any of the episodes you've missed.